How you feeling this morning? Are you? Good, 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 good. Great, great, great. I feel great myself. I have on short pants. I like those Sundays. Uh, in full disclosure, I'm, uh, I'm going to be traveling a little bit today. Uh, this is uh, every, every two months. I meet up with uh, about 30 other pastors from across the country for a coaching network that I'm involved in. And so we have a couple days of coaching. So I'm going to be in the airports. Uh, if you'll forgive me after this service is over, instead of being in the lobby or the parking lot or the, the patio, uh, Karen and I have to jump in the car and have to pretend like I'm O.J. Simpson. Is it, okay? is it okay to say that? I don't know what the boundaries are with that. But you remember the O.J. Simpson commercials where he's running through the airport, jumping over bags, that kind of thing? I might be sort of like that today. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, anyway, I'm dressed for travel today. And man, it just feels comfortable. I, I might preach too long here today. I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, it's good to see you guys this morning. Glad that you're here. If you're glad to be here, say amen. amen. All right. Well, whether you're a first-time guest or a long-time member or just somewhere in between, uh, we're really glad that you guys are here with us. Let me also welcome those who are joining, joining us for our podcast at RockyRiverChurch.com. Glad that you guys are listening in as well. Stress. Stress. Just, just the word. Just Bring some stuff to the surface, doesn't it? Uh, anybody in the room that never deals with stress? Anyone in here? Have one, stress-free life. Two, okay, I was just making sure. By the way, those, those people, they have all sorts of other problems. Just, um, they have to, they have to because nobody has a problem-free life, right? You know, uh, stress has become the disease of the 21st century. Have you heard this? Stress. And, and it's, it's not just any kind of stress. By the way, there are two kinds of stress. There's a good stress and a bad stress. The, the, the good stress we feel in, in life, you know, is the, the stress that's sort of created into our internal systems. It's like uh, when you're in the woods and you are all of a sudden face-to-face -face with a bear. You're surprised, and he's surprised, and you take off running because your stress and your anxiety has kicked in. It's to keep you safe, which, by the way, um, I, I don't recommend running from a bear. I, I don't know the best way to get away from a bear, but I'm pretty sure you can't outrun a bear, so be careful what you try there. But you get the point, right? Stress says, hey, there's danger. We, we've got to do something. We've got to get out of this. We've got to protect ourselves. But then there's the bad stress, which is chronic stress. And that's where you're faced with some sort of danger or you have anxiety about something that's coming up in your life. And um, your blood pressure rises, your, uh, your heart rate increases and adrenaline starts to shoot through your body, the problem is that when the danger is over, the stress stays. Your, your body doesn't go back to normal pre-stress uh, levels. And so what happens is the stress 
stays and it stays and it stays and it builds and builds and builds until it becomes a problem. And it's a big problem, not only in America, but globally. I read this week that one in every 14 people globally deal with some sort of anxiety disorder. And just in case you're wondering, this is not an, an, an old people problem. This is an all people problem. I read this week that the average teenager in America today experiences the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Think about that. Because I'm thinking back to when I was 14. Man, that was the glory days. Anybody else relate? I mean, I'd, I'd like to go back to those days because I felt like back then I didn't have a care in the world. It's probably not the, not the case. The problems just, maybe today they just seem different. But man, people at every level, every age, we're experiencing some sort of stress. Why? Well, it's because we feel overwhelmed. And we feel overwhelmed because most of us are overwhelmed, regardless of your age. We have so many things piled on top of us. The, the stressors are just so many that we can't physically, mentally, and emotionally deal with them. So we feel overwhelmed. Let, let me add something to the mix. You know, I'm not the preacher that sees a, a devil behind every bush or around every corner. I do believe in demons, of course. But I'm, I'm not necessarily the guy that sees a a demon and technology and that sort of thing. But when you track the rise of anxiety in America, especially among younger people, it directly parallels to the rise of social media. It's interesting, isn't it? And again, this is not just a young people problem. This is a problem for all ages. It's not only our teenagers that struggle with Social media, is it? The number two cause for divorce in America today is Facebook. Old flings, well, let me say it a different way. Um, couples been married for 10, 15 years, whatever the case may be. You know, they're in a rough spot. Life's stressful. They start thinking about their first love in high school. So they just decide to look that person up on Facebook. Well, it turns out that he or she, they don't really have a relationship situation or maybe they're not happy in their relationship. They message one another. Next thing you know, there's a meetup and there's a fair. The number two reason for divorce. I heard a representative from the NBA, like a player rep, say that one of the biggest things that they're dealing with as far as NBA players today is their level of depression. And when you think about an NBA player, NFL, NHL, whatever, you think, well, I mean, what do these guys have to be stressed out for? They make all this money. They play a game for a living. And, you know, that, that, that's true, I guess, but... At the same time, they're still human beings. So they have all the same stresses, the stresses of relationships and a job. 
but, but then they're out there in front of lots of people. I mean, their, their lives are exposed, but then they have pressures that m- most of us don't know anything about. I, I don't know the pressures of making $20 million a year, do you? Yeah, but they do. And, and the pressures of everyone around them wanting a piece of it and them and then just the stress of it. And then, then, then there's just who they are in the game. For, for example, uh, when Michael Jordan, especially in the beginning of his career, it was different, you know, at the end of his career, there, there was the internet. But when Michael went from uh, Chapel Hill to Chicago to play for the Bulls, there wasn't an internet. And so if Michael wanted to see where he was stacking up with, you know, other players, other folds, what was Michael? He was a guard, wasn't he? Uh, that right? It don't matter. He played for Chapel Hill. He was the greatest ball player of all time, so I don't care. But, <laughs> but if, he, if he wanted to know where he stacks up with other players, he'd have to wait till tomorrow to look at the sports page to see what the box scores are. What players are doing today is at halftime, they're going to their phone to look to see how LeBron's doing right now. Where do I stack up? How, what are my points totals compared to as far as his? He has a double-double. I'm not quite there. He has a triple-double. I have a double And the stress, the stress and the comparison of it all. You know why kids, and I say kids, I probably shouldn't say kids. You know why teenagers have moved away from Facebook, don't you? They moved to Instagram to get away from mama. They got on Facebook and then wasn't very long and mama got on Facebook. And so they want to get away from mama because if you're on Facebook with mama, you have to be friends with her, right? (laughs) I mean, it's tough to explain why you won't confirm mama's friend request. So what do they do? They go to Instagram. Well, what are moms doing now? And look, I know their dads do this too. But by and large, it's mom. Mom is moving to Instagram, so what are young people doing on Instagram? Well, they're moving to Snapchat and other things like that. So now what has mama stressed out? Well, she has everything else going on. All the normal stresses of life, like that's not enough. And now she's friends with so-and-so who... When she describes her life on Facebook, everything's perfect. And she makes Facebook out to be brag book. And really, life is not what she or he might be showing on their Facebook page. But the stress, it just, oh, I'm not doing this with my kids, or I'm not doing that, or these things are... Not right, but it's stress, it's stress, it's stress, it's stress. It builds. By the way, since I'm sort of meddling, let me meddle a little bit more. For older Americans, they're starting to show a link between the amount of stress and overload we feel in our lives and how it parallels how much cable news we watch. Think about that. You know, when, when I was growing up, which wasn't that long ago, but when I, when I was growing up, um, you had the 6 o'clock news, 
That was usually the local news. You see what's going on, mostly in your community. There would be a little segment there, maybe something that's national. Then after the evening news, which when I was a kid, it was 10 and sometimes at 11. But after that, there might be a half hour show or a one hour show where they just hit the highlights of what's happening in the world. But now, now with all of these cable news networks, not not just CNN, but I mean, whatever your brand is, it's 24-7. And have you noticed, no matter what your brand is, they're, they're they're not playing up all of the, um, the feel-good things, are they? And so we're just bombarded with it. And hey, forget that it's just in, uh, in, in the TV screen. We're walking around with the news and information overload in our pocket or purse or wherever it is that you carry your smartphone. And, and those alert us, Right? Now, I don't have alerts set on my phone, but Karen does. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy because she's discovered this alert thing on her phone. She doesn't care a whole lot about it one way or another, but she has these alerts, and she's not in here, is she? Because <laughs> I've been looking, and I don't see her, so <laughs> y'all don't tell her. She's got to drive me to the airport, so <laughs> at least wait till she drops me off and then tell her. But... Uh, I, I used to come home in, in the afternoon or, you know, in the evening rather and say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Now she's like, well, yeah, I got an alert on that like one o'clock today. Where have you been? <laughs> I mean, you can know what's happening, not only in your community, but in your country and all over the world. Over and over and over and over and over again. And there's just so much that we can't absorb it all. Well, you guys know that we're in a series right now called A Whole New You. And during this series, we're talking about physical newness, spiritual newness, emotional, mental, financial, and relational newness. And I just didn't feel like we could do a series like this without talking about stress and what to to do with it. And what I want you to see is that all of these things are connected. When I've... When I'm putting a message like this together, and I've been thinking about this for the last month, and I don't know why it keeps coming up in my mind. Maybe it's just in my mind. I don't know. But I keep thinking about the person who would say, well, what does this have to do with God? What does this have to do with church? What does stress have to do with my spiritual life? And the answer is everything. Everything. See, what what goes on in your relationships, that's directly affected by your spiritual life. What's happening in your financial life, it directly is impacted by what's going on in your spiritual life. In fact, here's, here's the way I would say this. The reason that most of us feel like we are living a lifestyle that is just so fast-paced, we can't keep up with it. And while we feel like we have so much stress on us, it's because our lives are out of alignment with God's ideal for our life. The way he wants us to live. Jimmy, what do you mean? Well, I mean, we have problems in our relationships because we just tend to run our relationships the way we want to rather than the way God says we ought to run them. 
The reason some of us are overloaded with debt and financial stress and strain is because we don't honor God with our, our finances. You see what I mean? Now, now listen. I'm not saying that if you were more faithful to God, you wouldn't have any stress in your life. Nor am I saying that the reason that you struggle with an anxiety disorder is because you just don't have enough faith in Jesus. If you were more godly, you wouldn't have that anxiety. There's a, there's a word in the Bible, uh, the Greek word for that. It's called baloney. Because, see, we, we tend to think that way when it's something emotional or mental, but we don't think that way when it's physical. Like, like you, you might have heard a, a preacher or some, some Christian say, well, if you just loved Jesus more and trusted him, you wouldn't have any of that anxiety because you wouldn't have any worry in your life. Well, they don't say that about high blood pressure. Or heart failure. You know, if you just loved Jesus more, you wouldn't have this problem with your heart. You wouldn't have diabetes. People don't think of it that way. So what I'm, what I'm saying is that there, there are anxiety disorders that are mental health issues that need to be treated medically. And thank God for the medicine. Thank God for the medicine. Because let me, let me tell you, let me tell you, all right, I'm already, I'm, I'm, I'm already into my airport time here. But, but let me, I don't care. I'll get there. We live in a sinful, broken world. And because we live in a sinful, broken world, people have all sorts of problems. And everyone, everyone who can hear my voice right now has something. You have something that's not right with you. You have, and some of you have a lot of things. <laughs> but, see, that's me just releasing some of the pressure that's building up here. But we all have something that's broken. We are all dealing with something that's not right. We're all dealing with some physical or mental or emotional struggle. Why? Because people are broken, all of us. And so just like you, you wouldn't have any issue with your parents taking medicine to bring down their blood pressure, or insulin for their diabetes, if the Lord can treat what, or if doctors can treat what's going on with you in your mind mentally and emotionally, and they can treat that with medicine, praise the Lord every time you take that pill. Beyond that, The reason we feel this extra added weight, like we're being smothered or squeezed, 
by stress, it's because things are out of spiritual alignment. Next week, we're going to talk about spiritual wholeness. But today, I want us to jump back into Psalm 23, and let's deal with this stress. Before I just start going through this line by line, I want to give you what I think are the five most common causes of life stressors. So if you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, write these down anyway. Um, I'll go through them pretty quickly. The first one is worry. Anybody in here struggle with worry? Yeah, all of us do. But let me tell you, well, that's a spiritual issue. The Bible says, worry, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. If we'd do a better job with praying, we'd have less to worry about. I'm just saying, that's what the scriptures teach us. But, but we do struggle with worry. Why? Because we are the generation. Well, there's never been a generation that's lived in a more high-tech, complex, complicated world than we do. We live in a world that's so complicated now, we don't even know how to talk to each other. Is he white? Is he black? Is he Euro-American? Is he African-American? What, what, what are we? And then beyond that, is he a, a male or female? We, we don't even know how to talk about things that at one time it was just assumed. If you have an Audi, you're a male. If you have any, you're not. It's biology 101, really. But see, the world is so complex now. How do we even... I'm sorry for that. I, not, not, not too much, but... You get the point. We live in a complicated world. But then number two, hurry. We, we live in a world full of worry, but then also a world full of hurry. Our, our lives just go faster and faster and faster. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. It's because we're having so many things competing for our attention, our time, our energy that we're having to, to hurry to finish the important things because we have wasted so much time on the things that are not important. Charles Spurgeon, that's a, that's a preacher, uh, the, the name of a, a, a preacher, a famous preacher from the, uh, uh, from the 19th century. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has more words in print, uh, English words in print than any other human being ever. I mean, when he would write a sermon, it was published. People would buy his sermons just in little booklets all over the world. And I heard a guy a few years ago talk about Spurgeon and how he found all of this time to write the books that he's written, and also he, he was famous, well, not famous, but known all over uh, Great Britain for having orphanages, huge orphanages, taking care of children and writing books and uh, leading coaching networks for pastors. And during the Q&A, someone asked, how in the world did he find all that time? And the professor said, well, it, it was easy. He didn't have a Facebook account. He didn't have a Netflix account. He didn't have cable. He didn't have internet. He didn't have all of these things taking up his time. So he 
read and wrote profusely. Most of us don't have time to do the important things because we just waste so much time doing the things that really don't matter. Number three, options. Options. We live in a multiple choice world, don't we? And you would think with all of these options that 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 would give us some freedom, but it really doesn't, does it? It doesn't give us more freedom. In fact, what it's done is it's created us to be non-committal. We don't want to commit to someone because someone better might come along. We're afraid to take this job because what if tomorrow there's a better job? I don't want to get too attached to these kids. I might find some better. (laughs) Just making sure you're awake. We're afraid of buyer's remorse. Having so many options is really just paralyzed us, and so many of us just can't even make a decision anymore. Have you bought toothpaste lately? (laughs) Toothpaste. That should be an easy thing, right? No. I mean, I remember when you had two choices, basically, minty fresh or non-minty fresh. (laughs) I think it was AIM that came through and just messed everything up because they started putting stripes and... And there's, and now you're thinking, do I want striped or not striped? But I I saw recently that Crest, Crest alone, has 500 different options when it comes to toothpaste. Have you bought milk lately? You, you, You used to have only two or three choices. You want whole milk, 2% milk, and then eventually they came out with that skim milk, which is basically just white water. And so you had two or three options, and then you just had to figure out what size you want. Do you want a gallon, half-gallon pint? Now, my goodness, so many options. Uh, do you know what your grandmama used to brush her teeth? Baking soda. Yeah. Thank God for Crest. Then there's the loss of privacy. That's number four. I read just a few days ago that Chinese spying has reached unprecedented levels in the United States. The FBI is now overseeing approximately 1,000 cases of espionage with Chinese spies infiltrating the State Department, the CIA, and the Defense Intelligence Agency. It's just the ones they're investigating. It's not the ones they're having to let slide because they don't have enough investigators. You better be careful about the apps you download. Better be careful what you're downloading apps on. But then there's the other stuff too. I mean, every time you go to a website, uh, they want to drop cookies in your browser. So that if you go to Amazon, you shop around for something, but you decide not to buy it, You go back to Facebook or Twitter, guess what pops up? The ad. Then there's one more. It's the future. The future. People are stressed out by what's going to happen in the future. What's going to happen in in politics? And by the way, that's something you ought to pay attention to. You should pay attention to it. But, But listen... Whatever your 
brand is for where you get your news information. They don't have anything else to do today but talk about whatever the four, maybe six topics are that they're going to talk about all day long. If you'll watch the first hour from 6 to 7 or 5 to 6, depending on whatever time your news comes on, if you'll watch the first hour, they'll tell you in that first hour everything that they're going to talk about all day long. They're going to give you updates. They're going to give you breaking news. And then their talking heads in the evening are just going to talk about more about and yell about and scream about more about what they've been talking about all day. So you should be concerned about it, but you shouldn't be consumed by it. What's going to happen? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the next day, next week, next month, next year? What happens at the end of the world? What's going to happen when I die? Now, that is something you ought to think about. All of these things, these are some of the big stressors in our lives. These are, there, there are others, but these are, these are the biggies. Now, the good news is that God has a lot to say about these things. We started talking last week from Psalm 23. We're going to pick back up in it this week. We're going to learn more about what God's antidotes are for these big stressors in our lives. I love the 23rd Psalm. How many of you love the 23rd Psalm? How many of you can quote it? You just know it by heart. It's that you can even lie because I'm not going to ask you to stand up and do it. I don't have time to. I just wanted to know. In this song, David is remembering back to the years that he spent as a young boy tending his father's sheep. These are his formative years. These are the years where God is molding and making him into the leader that he's going to be one of these days. And he's looking back and using his old job description to describe his relationship with God. And he describes how God, through the years, has provided for him, especially during the stressful times. If you know anything about David, you know that that mug faced some stressful situations in life. I mean, as a, as a young guy, like let's say 12, 13, tending his father's sheep, he has to fight off a lion. Anybody in here ever fought off a lion? How about a bear? Has he fought off one of those too? Can you imagine the stress of that? That's a big deal. Then when he's a little later in his teen years, he has to deal with a giant named Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. And by the way, the stress of that fight wasn't just about whether he was going to live or die, because here's the way warfare had started to work, at least for a period of time. Philistines and the Israelites made a deal. We'll send out our best champion. You send out your champion. Instead of hundreds or thousands of us dying and not really winning anything at the end because the people are the spoils, you, you send your champion. We'll send our champion. The one that wins uh, takes ownership of the losing team. So when David goes out into the valley of Eli to fight against uh, Goliath, it's not just a life or death situation for him. It's a life or death slavery situation for all of the people of Israel. 
That's pressure. And then, of course, he knew the anxiety and, and um, the fear of living a life on the run from King Saul, who was jealous of David and insecure and wanted to kill him. He, he knew the stress of being a king and a leader. S some of you are, are leaders. You, you, you lead a company. You own a company, so you lead that, or you're in management. Or even worse, you, you coach um, a baseball team, a kid's baseball team, and you have to deal with parents like me. I had an umpire tell me once he walked over to the fence, he said, Pastor, if I need any help, I'll let you know. Until then, you please be quiet. I said I will, but I just want to point out that you do need my help. You're just in denial. So you know what it's like. I mean, the kids, man, they're easy peasy, aren't they, Mike? If, yeah, if you, if you just had to, coaching girls basketball, if you, if you only had to worry about the players. But no, you have to worry about the parents. You have to, that, that's all a part of the leadership. Saul knew all about those things. He, he knew the stress and the pressure with just the regular everyday things of like being a husband, being a father. In Psalm 23, it's not just a light, fluffy little story. It, it, it's about David's experiences with God, the God who was with him during the good times but never left him in the dark times, but a God who walked through him. He says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, which means the Lord is my provider. I, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Did you notice how he switched? He went from the third person to the second person. Instead of talking about God to us, now he's talking to God. He's talking about the God who's ever present, the God who's right there. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, what he means is the Lord is my provider. The Lord tends me, tends to me, cares for me, loves me, is involved in my life. He hasn't just put me out and leave me to the world and leave me to whatever would prey on me, the Lord provides. And, and I think that if you and I will understand what it means that God is our provider and what he provides, it, it, it'll just lower your stress level. So last week I gave you three things. Today I want to give you three more things. When we talk about God as provider, here's what he provides. Number one, God provides comfort. God provides 
comfort. Listen again to verse four. He says, even though I walked through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death was a real place. It was a dangerous place. I've been to that place a few times. It was dangerous then, it's dangerous now. But he says, even, even though I'm going through this dark place where um, a lion could jump on me and destroy me at any moment, where a thief could jump out and rob me, even kill me, I'm not afraid because you are with me. You're guarding me and guiding me all the way. Dark valleys. Our God goes with us in the dark valleys. And dark valleys, th- those are different things to different people, aren't they? I mean, for, for you, uh, well, for any of us, a dark valley could be the, the death of a loved one. It could be the end of a relationship, like a marriage. It, it could be the fear of losing a job and, and now wondering how in the world am I gonna pay my bills? How, how am I gonna support my family? It could be the, the space between, the time between when you had the biopsy and, and waiting for the results of the biopsy. Sam, it could be serious heart surgery. And it is so good to see you sitting in here this morning. I just want you to know, I'm, I'm sorry to call you out. Let's give the Lord a big hand for Sam. Kim, of course, it's great to see you. But the reason we let Sam hang around here is because of you anyway. But circumstances have been a little bit different from him. But not, not only have we been praying for Sam, we've been praying for you. You're the caretaker. That's hard work. Had a lot on you. But Sam, going through that kind of heart surgery, that, that's, a, that's a dark valley. That's a tough time. But whatever it is, David reminds us that no matter what we're going through, God will see us through it. He, he doesn't abandon us when we go through dark times. Instead, he goes with us, and, and it's his presence, it's his being with us that gives us comfort. He, he guides us. He, he protects us. He has weapons. David was a killer, I mean, seriously, he was, a, he was a serious, serious soldier. Sometimes he was a soldier for hire. You may not know this, but there was, there, were, there was a time, maybe a couple of times, when David fought with the Philistines, a soldier of fortune. The pretty girls in Israel used to sing Saul, who was king when David killed Goliath, Saul has killed his hundreds, but David has killed his thousands. And by this point in his life, that's not an exaggeration. He's a tough guy, but he's saying, hey, I've been through some things in my life where my weapons weren't what I needed. I needed God. I needed what his weapons offered me. And you know, just in case you don't know it, and I know you do know this, But there's no such thing as living on the mountaintop all the time. And and you you can't jump from one mountaintop experience to the next. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good looking you are, how young you are, how talented talented you are, how much money you have or, or, or whatever. We all go through dark valleys 
And at some point, that valley is literally gonna be death, your own death. But we don't even have to be afraid of death because of Jesus Christ. We belong to him, the one who conquered death and the grave. Now, I want you to understand something before we move on here. Death is not the end. This death valley is just that. It's a passageway. It's space between two high spots, two mountains. It's a passageway, not the end and not a, a dead end. And every entrance has an exit. David learned in his life that sometimes God allows us to go through the dark valleys. And let me throw this one at you. David learned that sometimes God leads us to the dark valley. What do you do with that? But he also learned that whatever God leads us to, he leads us through. So he wasn't afraid. That's the way to live, isn't it? I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not there yet. But that, that's the way to live. That's the way the apostle Paul lived. You know, the, the Romans, they finally just killed him because that was all there was to do. Because he, he, Paul's the one who would say, would say to die is gain. If you kill me, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm going to something better than what there is here on this earth. If you put me in prison, that's okay too. I'm going to preach the gospel in prison. I'm going to win every prisoner you shackle me to with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no way to threaten him like that. Can you imagine living that way? Because Paul was a man just like... I'm a man, you're a man, a woman, human being. And that's the way he lived. That's an exciting way to live, isn't it? Moms and dads, you have younger kids. I wish I, wish I would have thought this way when mine were small. I, I would still pray, Lord, be with them, protect them, keep them safe. But I would not pray, and I don't think I ever prayed this, but I, I would never want to give my kids this impression. Lord, let them live safe lives. I would say, Lord, let them lead Paul, Pauline lives where they're not afraid to do anything you put in front of them to do. Next, God provides his forgiveness. I gotta move a little quicker here. Verse five, David says, you anoint my head with oil. In other words, God, you cleanse me from my sins. So I've already made a big deal out of Paul. I mean, not, not Paul, but um, David in a notorious sinner. The thing about David was that when, whenever David was faced with his sin, he repented. He was sorry for his sins. He was a, a notorious sinner, yet the scriptures refer to him as a man after God's own heart. How, how, do you, how do you figure out how that works together? 
It's a man who wanted to do the right thing. But sometimes he didn't. Just like the rest of us. Most of us want to do right. Most of us want to do what God wants us to do. We don't set out to sin, but we're human. And what David is saying here is I look forward to the day, God, when I'm in your presence and I'm not having to work so hard to try to do the right thing, where I'm trying to live a life that's worthy of you, but I'll be in your presence and you clean me up. He's talking about God being a host. In, in those days, those times, even not just Old Testament, but New Testament, you know, there were some Roman roads around, like in the New Testament, but for the most part, people were barefooted or had open-toed shoes and their feet were always dirty. So when, whenever you went to someone's home, you were gonna have a meal with them. Right at the door when you would come in or right nearby, there were big pots of water for you to step into to clean your feet off. You know, like if you go camping at the beach, you have water nearby to rinse the sand off your feet so you don't track it all in the camper. Because if you do, Jimmy, I'm going to whip you. I'm tired of telling. Wait a minute. Flashback. But you, you see what I mean, right? Well, also nearby, there would be, there would be oil, olive oil. So you, you, you can't very well take a bath at someone else's house, but you take that oil and you put it all over your face, your hands, and it shines your face up. It presents you as clean. David says, I've just been smearing this dirt around in my life. I can't get it off. I can't get rid of this sin. I think David always longed to be forgiven. I thought he would, I think he was haunted by his past sins just the way some of us are. Because, listen, if we were just being honest, if this was you and me and we were chatting in my office, some of you would say, listen, the thing that weighs my life down is the lifestyle I lived when I was in college. Or it was when I was addicted to cocaine. Or the shameless things I would do for crack. I just feel dirty from this sin. Listen, our God, through his son Jesus, provides forgiveness of sin. And the scriptures say that any man, any woman who is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. And then finally, God gives his presence. Not like a present, not like a birthday or Christmas present, but presence. Sometimes he gives presents, maybe, I don't know. But certainly his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. In verse 6, David ends the psalm by saying, Surely, and I always want to say yes, and don't call me Shirley. I'm sorry. Am I showing my age here? Surely, surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's almost, 
it's almost like David is looking at God like a border collie, you know, that's out front and behind. You know, back when there were all these fires out, out west, um, n- not long after they were over, I heard a lady give an interview. I was just, I was traveling from somewhere and in the car, had a while, and I just heard this lady talking, and it seemed like an interesting interview. She and her husband raise border collies. They, they breed them uh, and sell them to people all over the world. They're just, they're famous for, you know, their border collies. Well, when they had to evacuate their house because the fire was so close, they, they had gotten most of their, their border collies, but there were a few of them, I think three or four, that they couldn't round up. So they left uh, came back knowing that most everything had been destroyed and they were pretty sure that those dogs were dead too. But they went on a search and found those, those dogs about a mile away from their home. And they had a big circle. There were three of them. They had a big circle. And inside the circle were baby deer, bunnies, uh, other, other animals that they could herd up. They knew that the fire was trouble and they needed to help. And the firefighters said that they could, they could find where when the fire got too bad here, they would, they would move all the animals to another place to keep them safe. And so there's, there's uh, one of the Collies was out in front. One was about halfway in between them just to keep everybody sort of lined up. And then there was one in the rear, making sure they all stayed together. And when it was all said and done, I mean, the, the dogs were still alive, but the bottoms, the pads on their feet had been burned. I mean, they had risked their own lives to, to save, you know, these, these animals. They're just doing what they're doing. I think that's what David has in mind here when he talks about God. He's the God who leads us, but goes with us too. So, so he's, not, he's not ever so far out in front that we can't feel him, that we don't know is there. He's also behind, behind us so that nothing jumps out to grab us from behind. He protects us there too. I struggle with all these things. But I've learned that the best way to drive out fear and anxiety is to remember that God is leading me and he's following me. He's with me. And then no matter what happens in my life, no matter what the scenario is, even if it's the worst possible thing that could happen to me or my family, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, ultimately, you have to make a decision about the life that you're going to live because God leaves, leaves it up to us. Like, he, he won't make you follow him. He'll let you not follow him. There are consequences, but the truth is there are consequences both ways. Following Jesus is, you know, not a problem-free life. But you have to decide, are, are you going to keep living 
life according to your own rules, your own plans, your own guidelines, doing your own thing, depending on yourself? Or are you going to leave behind and stop living this under-resourced life at an unsustainable pace that you were not meant to live? I hope you'll do the latter. And I want you to imagine for, for just a minute, imagine if all the heaviness that you feel in your life right now was replaced with peace. Like the things that are plaguing you even right now with worry. What if you could go home today and, and you just didn't have to worry about those things anymore? What if you had that much trust in God to know that you can depend on him? And that no matter what happens, if it's the worst case scenario with the biopsy results, that cancer can't kill you forever. Only here. What if you could live with no fear? Not without a care in the world, but with no fear. Well, Jimmy, that just sounds too good to be true. Well, let me tell you, that's exactly what Jesus offers us in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I mean, some of you this morning, you're weary. And you're not weary just because I've been preaching for 45 minutes. You were weary during the music. You're carrying heavy burdens. You need some rest. Doesn't rest sound good? Like, what if you didn't have to carry your burdens anymore? He says, take my yoke upon you. And that yoke is the idea of two, two animals, two oxen that are yoked together. They're both pulling this load. He says, take my load, take my yoke upon you. Unhitch from the world, hitch your life to me. Let me teach you. Let me show you a better way to live. Next week, we're gonna start talking about a better way to live. We're gonna talk about spiritual wholeness. He says, because I'm humble. I'm not a taskmaster, not like what you're imagining, not like what the world has to offer. I'm gentle in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give is light. Let me take your burdens. I'm gonna give you another pack of burdens but they're my burdens. You can carry those because I'm gonna carry them with you. Doesn't that sound good? Let's pray together. Lord, I know that there are many people listening right now who are worn out and they're worn out from trying to live a life that is outpacing them. And there's probably every sort of stress imaginable represented here today. And I pray right now that each person who is sinking under the weight of stress would exchange the life they've been living for the life that you offer right here through your son, Jesus. Lord, the person here who's never 
put his or her faith and trust in you. They've never, they've never been forgiven of that sin debt. And that's what's really weighing them down. I pray that you would give him or her, them, the courage to say right now, Jesus, in the best way I know how, I'm trusting you as my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you especially for loving me through your son, Jesus. Now fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit, your spirit that empowers me to live the life that you have before me. Jesus, we pray in your great name. And those who agreed said, amen. Stand with me. And while you're doing that, I wanna tell you about two things that you need to know about. The first one is you, you guys have heard me talk about my friend Nelson, pastor, one of my best friends in life and ministry. Uh, last two and a half years, he's uh, been dealing with colon cancer, stage four colon cancer. Uh, well, Nelson, Nelson's gonna be here to preach for me on March the 8th. Uh, he's gonna be in on March the 5th. Uh, he and I are gonna lead a seminar uh, for pastors in this area and, and pastors f- and all, all around North and South Carolina. But he's gonna stay over and preach for me as a part of this series. He's gonna do a message on chronic pain and illness and he's gonna tell his story and uh, I think it's gonna be powerful and, uh, and I, I want you to be here for it. I want you to invite people to it because I... I've, I've heard him give this talk, and it's, it's powerful. It's really powerful. But then with that, I think it's the 11th, but it's the Wednesday night immediately after that Sunday, March the 8th. We're going to have a special service, prayer and worship service, here at 7 o'clock. And we're going to do what James tells us to do in the book of James. We're going to... We're going to have just a couple of songs of worship, but then we're going to have a time for people who have some chronic pain in their life or someone who is sick. We're going to invite you to come down front with you alone or you and your family, whoever you bring with you. They're welcome to come for too. We're going to anoint you with oil. We're going to have our spiritual leaders pray over you. It's going to be a powerful night. We've never done anything quite like this before. And so I want you to be here to be a part of that. It, it's, it's really going to be powerful. So March 8th, and then I think it's March the 11th. And then, then the other thing I want to say just before these guys close us out in worship. And again, I ask you to forgive me. Um, I've got to get in the car and go to the airport, okay? <laughs> but um, I wanted to let you know that my daughter Annie is not on our staff team anymore. Um, and this has been in the, in the makings for about, about the last four or five weeks or so. And, um, you know, ministry is not easy. And um, working for your old man is probably not easy either, although she and I get along great. But then there are other dynamics. You know, Annie grew up in church here. And, um, you know, she's grown up with probably a third of our church, and they've grown up knowing her, and she just feels like she needs to concentrate on school for a while and get that behind her and then see what's next. 
And so uh, I wanted you to hear that from me and, you know, not someone making something up or, you know, you just wondering, well, why, why don't we see Annie on stage or why don't we see her name on the bulletin, that kind of thing. She'll still be at the church, of course. I mean, she's the preacher's daughter. She's got to be here, right? And uh, she'll be volunteering and stuff like that, but not, not on, a, on a staff role. And she was very part-time anyway. She did full-time work, but very part-time pay type thing, just because her mom is like that. No. Um, so anyway, I, I want you to, I'm okay with it. I mean, now, I mean, the first three or four days, I curled up in a fetal position on the bed and cried. <laughs> and ate lots of Oreos, but <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but but I'm, I'm okay with it, and she's okay with it, and it's the right thing for her to do right now, and she has her life, and she needs to live it. I would ask you to pray for this new boyfriend she's got. I don't know if I like him or not. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I do. I do. But anyway, I love you guys, and uh, can't wait till next Sunday. God bless you.